what I've decided to do is, at the beginning of each week, I'm going to sit down at some point in time, probably first thing on Monday, and get a list of my most important priorities and plan my week according to those priorities. And uh, I found uh, it's, been, it's been very challenging so far. Uh, but one thing that I have learned as I've tried to do that a couple of times is if you're going to live intentionally, you have to know what things are most important. You have to know which of the things in your life is going to be the highest priority. Like there has to be something um, that has a that beats out everything else in your life. Um, like I like I've learned, man. I can give there are two hundred or three hundred hours worth of things I can give my life to every single week, and I've got about I don't know seventy or eighty that are available. Um, you have to make choices. You have to, some things have to come before others. Um, there ha- and there has to be at least one thing that is of first importance. And this week in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to use this phrase that he has not used yet in the whole book. He's going to talk about something of first importance. Not of great importance, not of huge importance, but first. The thing that comes first in the Christian life. And uh, this is very helpful. We've, been, we've talked about, if you've been here for the whole time in 1 Corinthians, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've talked about relationships in the church, how someone should view ministry, how someone should view their relationship with the church. We've talked about sexual morality and the Bible's view of that. We've talked about marriage and singleness. We've talked about this. We just spent uh, a solid four or five weeks going through the spiritual gifts, all issues that are important and that we can uh, debate and think about. Um, but none of those things are of first importance. And uh, before we dive in, uh, I want you to think through... Uh, if I made you close your Bibles and I handed out some 3 by 5 cards and I said I would like you to write down the thing of first importance in the Christian life. Um, what would you do? How would you, what would you say? How would you answer that question? How confident on a scale of 1 to 10 would you be in your answer to that question? Would you say, man, I've never thought about that before. That's an interesting question, Leland. Um, and we're going to learn today, I, and I would argue that I think every, every person who claims the name of Jesus should have a, an answer to this question ready at hand, a confident, clear answer. But before we, can, before we read, just think about that. If I did that, would you have an answer for the thing of first importance? All right, here we go. First Corinthians 15, we'll read through verse 11. Hear the scriptures. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. 
but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we just confess this morning uh, that we are very easily caught up into secondary things. I'm just, how many days go by when I do not think about the gospel or rejoice in it? I just pray you help us um, as a group this morning to remember the things of first importance, to set our lives on them. I pray that in Jesus' name. So uh, I, I would like to begin by just sharing with you guys uh, one of the scarier parts of my job. Uh, yes, uh, doing what I do can be scary occasionally. Um, and it's not what you think. It's not confronting people who are doing dumb stuff or hospital visits or stuff. Those things are very hard, but they're not really scary. Um, what's scary to me, uh, so, so as a background, I, I typically spend a lot of time meeting with people and talking with them, especially people who are new. I'll, uh, I'll try to get together with them, see how they're doing, um, ask them a few questions about their spiritual lives. Um, and typically, I always ask people when I meet with them, uh, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And here's, the, here's one of the most frightening things. Um, it's just how that conversation goes. Um, you guys would be shocked, okay, not just at the wrong answers I've gotten to this question from well-meaning Christians who I think are legit. But the whole way the conversation goes, so I'll ask the question, hey, well, so what, what's the gospel? Nobody just kind of look of like, like what? What, what? what do you mean? Like, you mean like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like the gospel, like the big message of the New Testament, the thing that's preached. And, uh, and then usually what happens, or sometimes what happens, is they'll have this look of realization like, oh, yeah. And you'll see like mentally, you guys know how people look when they're trying to remember something? From like, from like, you know, like, what do you, what do you only wear in middle school? And they're like, okay, I think uh, I had a mohawk, you know, whatever. Like, you can just see them, like, as they're trying to remember what the gospel is, they're like dusting off the shelves of their brain. Like, dust is flying everywhere. And they're like, okay. Uh, and, then, and then, like, kind of in like this, again, I, I might be being a little too sarcastic here, okay? But, but it's almost like they, they kind of ramble through, like, Jesus and something about him dying and, like, accepting him into your heart and, and then, then it all ends with like this, like hopeful question mark. Like, am I, am I right? Like, like yeah. Is that, is that? Like, I want to impress my pastor. Like, yeah, you know. Um, and I, I'm being funny about that, but that's that's really scary. Um, that someone who claims to be a Christian, who loves and follows Jesus, can forget the thing this passage says is of first importance. Uh, I leave that conversation with someone thinking that whether they are a genuine believer or not, for all intents and purposes, they have forgotten the gospel. Um, if, uh, if you can't articulate something, you can't speak about it clearly, that generally means you have not thought about it in a long time. Um, and if you, can, if you haven't thought about it in a long time, it certainly means it's not, it's not impacting your heart or your life. 
Um, another scary thing in ministry, and this doesn't happen quite as often, uh, is that I meet, I, meet, I meet people and talk to them, and they can, they can tell me the gospel clearly. Um, but then, just if you watch their lives, um, their priorities and what they say and their attitudes towards life betray that the gospel is not of first importance. They can tell me the gospel, but they would much rather tell me about their love life or about um, how things at work are going or about the new toy they got. Um, and even in my life, it's very easy to forget the gospel. Um, I can live very often like God loves me as long as I do my devotions, right? That, that God forgives me in Christ as long as I behave correctly. But um, I hope you guys can see that it is very easy to forget the gospel, not necessarily actually forget it, but to live so blind to it, so out of touch with it, that you have essentially forgotten it. And that's where our passage starts. If you guys look at this first verse, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. This word remind, uh, in other contexts, it's, it's translated as make known, as in the giving of new information. And so the idea here is the Corinthians, um, as a church, in Paul's esteem, were people who had, for all intents and purposes, forgotten the gospel. They were so caught up in their spiritual gifts. They were so caught up in, uh, in fighting in the congregation. They had forgotten this first thing. And maybe we have as well. So let's, let's dive in and hear this reminder. So the first thing Paul says is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the essential thing in the Christian life. It is, it is what Christianity and an individual's Christian life stands on. If you look at the second part of that verse, the gospel which I preached to you, uh, the word gospel uh, means good news. Um, in, in the context of the New Testament, it was, uh, this word was often used uh, when a messenger would come and bring a message from a king. Typically good, a good message from a king. That's how, that's how the, the word translated gospel was used in uh, that day. Uh, think about this. I was, uh, did you guys hear about yesterday uh, how they sent out a false ballistic missile warning to the nation of, to the state of Hawaii? So uh, again, again, that's laughable here, but it, we have a friend who lives in Hawaii and it was not funny at all to her. Um, and I want you to imagine that, you know, you wake up tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. and you get a ballistic missile warning for Charleston, South Carolina. And um, for the next 38 minutes, just, just think about that for a second. There's nowhere to go, right? You can't, like, like you're doomed. Like, it's going to hit. Like, may, maybe some of you guys have a, a bunker somewhere, you know? But I, I doubt it. I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of doomsday preppers in the room, okay? But you're panicking. Think, think about that desperation. Think about the relief that comes when it was a mistake. I mean, there's probably some frustration, you know, involved that, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. But think about the relief that comes that I am not going to die in the next 10 minutes. That, that's the kind of way this word feels. It's good news. It, 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 should, it should evoke uh, relief. Um, and just notice here, we'll, we'll, we'll get here a little later, but the gospel is news that is preached, it's proclaimed, it's spoken in words. 
and it's received. Look at what it says in verse 1. The gospel I preach to you, which you received. We'll get there in a moment. Um, what does this gospel do? Uh, the first thing that this gospel does is it saves. Paul says that the Corinthians received the gospel. Receiving the gospel is what makes someone a Christian. It's not the quality of their moral life. It's not the things they do. All those things are flow from receiving the gospel. The dividing line between humanity, all right, uh, is how a person has responded to the gospel. Think about that for a second. What ultimately separates people? What ultimately puts humanity into two classes is people who have received the gospel of Jesus and who have not. That determines their destiny. Um, but notice this next little phrase. Uh, this is so interesting. It says, um, in verse 2, it says, and by which you are being saved. So the gospel is, is the thing in which the Corinthians are being saved. You'll notice that's a present tense verb right there. Uh, I think a lot, all the way we talked, about like, yeah, I was saved when I was 15. And you're like, like, like I will, I'll ask them to tell their story about Christ. And they'll talk about what happened like 10 years ago. And it's this idea that um, salvation is primarily a once-for-all thing. And there is a sense in which it is. You believe in Jesus and God declares you righteous. Right? And you're sealed. That does happen once for all. But the New Testament pictures that salvation uh, is, an, is also an ongoing process. That God did not just justify us once, but he is now making us like Christ. We call that sanctification. And Paul says here um, that even that is rooted in the gospel. Do you guys know that? Your growth in holiness, you becoming more like Jesus, your, sec- your security in this life is based on the gospel. It is the only message, not just to save you once, but to change you today. Um, and finally, uh, the gospel saves, it's received. And then it says at the end of verse 15, or verse 1, uh, it is the thing in which you stand. Um, so the gospel uh, is the beginning, middle, and end of the Christian life. As a famous pastor says, that it's not just the the entrance to the Christian life, but the pathway of the Christian life. Um, and it's the thing on which a Christian's life stands. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a bridge being built. Have you ever seen a bridge or a dock being built? Uh, typically what happens is a giant barge uh, comes up beside it. It's got these incredibly huge machinery, and they drive huge holes into the ground. And they put these giant pilings in them, and they just pound them over and over and over again until they are firmly in the ground. That's kind of the idea of this, that a Christian's life stands on the gospel. Uh, your security, the reason that you're going to wake up tomorrow if you're a believer and God is still going to love you and be gracious to you is the gospel. Um, <clears throat> what's really interesting about these two verses is Paul hasn't told us what the gospel is yet. Um, I think the idea here, uh, there should be some tension. Uh, we should all be hoping that we have it right. We should all be, that's what Paul's doing here. He's laying out why it's so important. So I would just say, again, before we get into the actual description of the gospel, um, if I challenged you at a moment's notice, could you, out of the overflow of your heart, 
define the gospel for me? Would it be clear? And as you think about that, um, have you ever realized that the entirety of your Christian life is shaped by the gospel, that God intends for the gospel, this message we're going to get into in a second, to be the flavor of your Christian life. Uh, to use a, to potential, at the danger of using a bad uh, illustration, uh, I think that what God desires of the Christian life is to be like a diet, all right, not, a, not like not having food, but just like a, a meal plan, okay, where every meal looks different, but they all have the same seasoning. That you take, a, every meal tastes the same. It has the same flavor. You know, one night it might be chicken and rice, one night it might be, I don't know, breakfast for dinner. But you're putting the same seasoning on it. Um, it all has the same flavor. That God wants uh, your devotional life to be flavored by the gospel. He wants your Christian friendships, your view of the church, your pursuit of other people in friendship to be flavored by the gospel. He wants your fight against lust and sexual immorality to be flavored by the gospel. It's the sum and center of the Christian life. Everything in the Christian life flows from it. So I hope you've seen uh, so far just how important this is. You can get a lot of things right in the Christian life and get the gospel wrong and lose your soul. You can be a moral person. You can do good works. You can have theological precision. But if you get this wrong, you lose everything. That's why Paul says here uh, <clears throat> in verse 2, if you... If you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. It's possible, and this is scary, but it's possible uh, if you drift away from the gospel, if you don't hold fast to it, that your original belief in Christ will end up being in vain. I think, I think this is a sense in which in Matthew 7, when Jesus, that scary passage, everybody knows, that everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, we're into the kingdom of heaven but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus will turn and say to them, I never knew you. I think he's talking about this. But there will be many people who identify as Christians, who, who live good Christians' life, who do not know the gospel, who don't relate to Jesus through the gospel, and therefore he does not know them. That's how important this is. But uh, look in verse uh, 3. He's going to actually tell us what the gospel is. <clears throat> so I, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. We've already talked about this for a second, but uh, just, just real quickly. Look at first importance. All right, again, the most important thing. Uh, also look at uh, the end of the verse, uh, which I also received. Paul did not make this up. It's not Paul's message. Okay, It's God's message that Paul received. And here's what it is. Says the uh, the end of verse three that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. The thing of first importance is first that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. The gospel starts with Christ, Jesus Christ, God's Son in the flesh, God and human being in the same person. Not just him living, not just him being a good moral teacher, not just him showing us how to live, but him dying for our sins. The gospel is a message about God himself crucified and killed for our sins. It's a message 
That includes the fact that every person in this room this morning, not just in actions, but in a whole attitude of heart that ignores and neglects God, that does not live in reference to him, that everyone here has done enough to deserve hell this morning, and that Jesus, God's son, the one who is coming to judge the living and the dead, that he died for those sins, that he bore the wrath those sins deserve. That is the center of the gospel. That is the dead center of the Christian life. And just think about that. Uh, The center of the Christian life is that God loves you enough to die for the very things he should punish you for. Think about that. The gospel is the gospel of a judge who takes the penalty of a criminal. That's that's God's love for you in Christ. Um, And notice, uh, for those of you who are like, all right, I got this so far, right? Um, Notice the emphasis here that everything Jesus did was in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, The end of verse 3, in accordance with the scriptures, it happens again in verse 4. Paul's talking about the Old Testament scriptures here. When he says the scriptures, it doesn't mean the New Testament. It hasn't been written yet, okay? Some of the Old Testament. So this message, this central message of the Christian life is not just that Jesus died. It's that what Jesus did when he died was prophesied for hundreds of years before Christ. Think of um, Isaiah 53, which was written around 600 years before Christ. It says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Again, that was written 600 years before the birth of Jesus. Zechariah 12, I think this is more like four or 500 years before the birth of Christ. It says, uh, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, God, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for me. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Just a moment. Uh, just consider for a second if you're a believer, um, or even if you're not a believer, consider <coughs> that Christianity, that the gospel of Jesus, is the only, it's the only message that, that includes fulfilled prophecy. As there are a lot of truth claims out there. You know, there's truth claims in Islam, and Hinduism, and Buddhism, and America's kind of like pop, be a good person, be nice spirituality. But, but the gospel is a story of fulfilled scriptures. It was predicted hundreds of years before it happened. Um, it's, not a message, it's a message you should be confident about. Um, and then uh, Jesus didn't just die in the gospel. We focus a lot on his death. But it says here... Uh, Actually, sorry, in verse 4 it says he was buried. Uh, I think the reason that's there is primarily because Jesus had a real body. Uh, Some people have said that it doesn't really matter if Jesus historically died. It's more that, like, we should just think about that and be changed by that. God dying for us. And that's, that's, that's wrong, okay? He had a physical body that was really buried. There was a tomb and a stone, all that kind of stuff. Um, it really happened. And in verse, uh, verse 4, he, wasn't, he didn't just die. He was raised that uh, Jesus, after dying for sin, was raised by God uh, in victory over sin and death forever. That right now, 
Jesus lives as a resurrected Lord. That he has a body that will never die again. As, as later on this passage will say, he is the first fruits, the beginning of the harvest of the resurrection. That what, ha- what, happened, what happened to Christ in resurrection is a, is a preview of what's going to happen to his people. And again, just consider that at the center of your life should be that you serve a resurrected king. That Jesus isn't just someone who was around 2,000 years ago to take care of your sin, that he's present, ruling and reigning over your life, that he's, that he's with you, that he allows nothing into your life that he does not ordain for your good. And that he's victorious over He's governing the world as a resurrected king. And your life, if you know Jesus, your life is heading towards resurrection. That, that guys, you guys know we're all going to die, right? You guys realize that? Okay. I know, I know, especially when you're under 40 and you've got a lot of life ahead of you, you're not thinking about death much. Okay. But everybody in here, all the things we know uh, will be taken from us, in a sense. There's going to be a day when we all die. And an unbeliever is unable to think of that day. Right? Try to talk to someone who knows about their death. 95% of them will be like, okay? But a Christian, someone who knows Jesus and serves a resurrected Lord, you know that when you die, you enter resurrection life. That hope should, should color your life. And again, uh, Jesus' resurrection happened according to the scriptures. People were very surprised when Jesus rose. But it was actually predicted. I'll just do one passage on this. Again, at the end of Isaiah 53, it says uh, that the one who dies, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. It goes on and says that I will, he will divide the spoil with the strong. That's the idea of a a victor. Um, And he makes intercession. He prays for the transgressors. And I'll just point out really quickly that someone who can see and be satisfied and who can pray for people who do wrong, that's a person who's alive. So the Old Testament, think about this, the Old Testament predicts the resurrection of Jesus. In Luke 24, the disciples, that little passage at the very end of Luke, after Jesus is risen from the grave, the disciples are kind of mopey there. Um, they don't know what's happened yet. They, they meet Jesus on the road. They don't recognize him. And, um, and they're sad because Christ has died. And Jesus says, do you not know that what has been written in the scriptures must be fulfilled? And he opened their mind to the scriptures, passages like this. So, so the, the message of Jesus, a crucified king who is resurrected, um, is a scriptured, prophesied message. That's the gospel. And it's not just, uh, it's not just pro- prophesied, it's not just something that is predicted, it's historical. Probably the most interesting thing about this passage is that you've got two verses about what we consider the main things of the gospel, and then you've got four verses about Jesus appearing to people after he was risen. Did you guys notice that? It goes on and on and on. He appeared to to Cephas, to Peter, okay? Then to the 12, he appeared to 500 brothers at one time. He appeared to James. And then finally, he appeared to me. So, um... A huge part of the gospel in Paul's mind is that Jesus died, and that he, he, he rose again, and that he proved that historically. It's not just a story we tell to feel good about death. That Christ actually, like, 
Notice the part, and this is uh, verse, verse 6. He appeared to more than 500 brothers, most of whom are still alive. The idea there is, hey, if you don't believe me, you can go ask them. There are 500 dudes around that you can go find and ask them. They saw the resurrected Christ. Think about this. Your Christian life, your beliefs, stand on the testimony of hundreds of people who saw a resurrected Lord. Again, I'll just say, uh, I'm going to Jordan in a couple days. I've been thinking about Islam a lot. But uh, Islam, this world religion that's huge, uh, is founded on a guy who went into a cave and claimed that an angel dictated the scriptures to him. It happened several times through his life. But it happened first in a cave, and then it happened several times. That's, that's what Islam's founded on. A claim of one man that he got revelation from God. And, and, and our, our faith is based upon the testimony of hundreds of witnesses. And, of course, the Spirit and all that we hear in the truths of Scriptures. But it's a historical message. So, again, just to summarize, the gospel is the, is the story that God sent Christ, his Son, to die for our sins according to Scripture, to be raised according to Scripture. And that really happened historically. There's evidence. In fact, uh, there's this book uh, by James McDonald. It's a huge book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And um, you can read it. It's, it's this big. It's giant, okay? But the entire book is full of this historical eyewitness evidence uh, for the resurrection of Christ. And um, Christianity is the only religion that can have a book like that. Evidence that demands a verdict. It's a historically reliable message. So um, let's talk about application for a second. I know that uh, a lot of our temptation this morning is to kind of say, so what, right? I've been hearing this since I was 10. Like, come on, like, Jesus died for my sins. I get it. Like, it's almost like, let's move on. Like, I bet if we did Q&A right now, there would not be nearly as many questions as last week when we did spiritual gifts and prophecy, right? Not any. In fact, I, I, I challenge you guys. I bet when we get, get in this lesson, I'm, I'm not sure what questions you guys will have, you know? We've heard it before, right? Um... And that's a real dangerous place to be, I think. Uh, consider this. C.J. Mahaney has written a book called The Cross-Centered Life. I'd encourage you guys to read it. But he says this. He says, Never be content with your grasp of the gospel. The gospel is life-permeating, world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets than any diamond. Its depths man will never exhaust. Wherever you are, whether you have just heard the name Jesus for the first time or what I have just said in the last 15 minutes has been kind of boring because you've heard it so often, the gospel has something to offer you this morning, that God himself crucified for you, that thing of first importance is universe-altering truth for your heart today. I'll just, and I'll just, uh, I'll give you guys three brief applications, and then we'll head to the last part of the passage. First, um, man, if you are not a Christian, or you've been considering Christ, or maybe you've been a cultural Christian for your whole life, and you've, you've never really received this message by faith, repent and believe the gospel. Guys, this, you have historical, historically reliable truth that bears witness to you. You have no excuse, right? And you have, you have news that's good. 
that God in Christ is willing to receive you, that you can have a life that extends beyond this present life. You can have joy in this present Believe the gospel. Turn from your sins. If you're, a, if you're a Christian, I'd encourage you to rest in the gospel. Um, we are healthiest when we are saying to ourselves, Jesus has died for me. That this morning, when I wake up, I'm going to fail, and I'm going to mess up, but God in Christ has done enough to secure my soul. It's fin- Jesus, the last words he said on the cross were, it is finished. Everything that's necessary for you to be right with God has already been done in Jesus. Even if you feel guilty. Even if you struggle. In fact, I think the thing that's going to put your guilt to death is, is resting in the fact that God has already done everything necessary for you to be right with him forever. Rest there. Take a breath there. And finally, uh, for those of you who don't have a New Year's resolution, uh, I would like to just give you one, okay? Uh, Let this year be the year that you internalize and even memorize the gospel. Especially if uh, if you felt a little bad uh, when I was talking about people who can't say it quickly, okay? Um, I just encourage you um, that you can learn to speak the gospel. In fact, you could say, man, here's what I'm going to do. In January and February, I'm going to memorize 1 Corinthians 13, 13, 1 to 11. 11 verses, two months. That's pretty doable, right? That's not too bad. Okay, I'm going to internalize this. I'm going to have this message on my heart. Maybe uh, maybe you go home and you Google search. You Google the most gospel-centered verses in the Bible. You'll get, you'll get a bunch of stuff in the New Testament, real solid stuff. A lot, of, a lot of stuff in 2 Corinthians, a lot of stuff in the Gospels. Okay, Clear summaries of what Jesus has done. Okay, And you spend your January... Each of your devotional times is studying one of those passages. Internalizing it. Meditating on it. Um, If you're into books, two great books about the gospel. One is Greg Gilbert's What is the Gospel? Uh, C.J. Mahaney's Cross-Centered Life. But but take take some time, especially if you feel like you've been wandering a little bit, if you haven't thought about this truth in a long time, take some time to internalize this. This is the thing you need to know. The one thing that every Christian should be able to say, to speak, to treasure, to rest in. The gospel. Okay, so, so far Paul's told us how essential the gospel is. He's given us the basic facts of the gospel. And now he's going to give us his personal story in light of the gospel. See, uh, he's talking about uh, who Christ has appeared to in verse 8. He says, last of all, one untimely born. He appeared also to me. I am the least of the apostles worthy to be called apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Just uh, notice a couple things that Paul considered himself to be a great sinner. I don't think that he's, uh, he's just trying to be humble here. I think that Paul genuinely saw that of all of the apostles, objectively, he had been the worst. He actually did persecute and probably kill Christians, or at least participate in their deaths before he became a Christian. He saw that. And he doesn't just say that. He uses it to show the power of the gospel. He said, I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, any of the apostles. 
though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So, so Paul says, when he, when he thinks about the gospel, he thinks that the gospel takes a persecutor and makes him an apostle. That's the power of the gospel. It takes someone who's not just indifferent about Jesus, not just kind of like, you know, whatever, but someone who's actively opposed to Christians, who's murdering them, who's hating them. The gospel is a message of such power, it takes those kinds of people and makes them apostles. Not just apostles, but the hardest working apostles in history. That's what God's grace does. That's, that's the gospel's ability to transform people. And just, just think about this for a moment. Wherever you are, the gospel is able to change your heart. You might be in a dull, cold, just kind of just lagging along season of your life with the Lord. You might feel really convicted right now. And I just want to tell you that this message of God's Son crucified for you, risen again, ruling over your life, historically uh, validated, that message has the power to transform your life. It has the power to deeply change how you view yourself, your attitudes towards others, the way you see the circumstances of your life right now. The gospel can do that. And it can do that for others. Because I, uh, most, I don't consider that most of my family are Christians, and I, I feel like I've talked to them about Jesus, don't boo in the face, and it's just like there's blinders on. And it's really easy to lose hope. And this passage tells me that the gospel can get a hold of the people who I know with the hardest of hearts. Not my family, the ones with the hardest of hearts, but anyone I know, the hardest-hearted person, the gospel can get a hold of them and change them. So um, we've seen that the gospel is absolutely essential. It's a clear message about Christ crucified, but it's one easily forgotten. Um, this is great... Uh, little series of books that I recommend to you all, The Chronicles of Narnia. Again, if you need a New Year's resolution, read them, okay? That's a good one. They're great. They're kids' books written for adults. Uh, if your reading level is like zero and you hate books, it's a great place to start, okay? Uh, anyways, there's a, the sixth one's called The Silver Chair, and uh, I'll try to just summarize it for those of you who aren't familiar with it, but uh, there are these, in the world of Narnia, okay, Narnia is this magical realm. You guys have probably seen the movie, but uh, little, ch little kids... Uh, will get transported to it. And basically, Lewis's point in this whole series is Narnia is where they kind of experience the Christian life, but everything in there is very symbolic. So uh, in Narnia, the king of that land is Aslan. He symbolizes Jesus throughout. Anyways, so uh, there's two characters, Jill and Eustace. Uh, they go to Narnia, and uh, Aslan has called them Narnia to go on a mission uh, to save this lost prince. Um, anyways, uh, Jill does something stupid. She actually gets her friend kicked off a giant cliff, which is not a good thing. But uh, Aslan comes to her, and he gives her four signs to remember for her mission. He gives her really clear instructions. He makes her repeat them over and over again. He says, do not forget these. Th these are the only way you're going to accomplish your mission. Remember them. And uh, the large portion of the silver chair is a story about how Jill just fails to remember them. Over and over again, she, she, uh, she's, not, she's not reciting them to herself. She misses them, even when they're pretty clear. And finally, at the end of the story, she barely remembers the last one. Um, and at the very end, uh, they haven't seen Aslan the whole time. He seemed very distant. As Aslan returns, and here's what happens. This is a beautiful passage. Aslan says, I have come. 
said a deep voice behind them. They turned and saw the lion himself, so bright and real and strong that everything else began at once to look pale and shadowy compared with him. And in less time than it takes to breathe, Jill forgot, she was at, she was at a funeral, she forgot about the dead king of Narnia and remembered only how she had made Eustace fall over the cliff and how she had helped to muff nearly all of the signs and about all of these snappings and quarrelings on her journey. And she wanted to say, I'm sorry, but she could not speak. Then the lion drew them towards himself with his eyes and bent down and touched their pale faces with his tongue and said, Think of that no more. I will not always be scolding. And this is a wonderful picture of grace there, that God charges us to remember the gospel. But the gospel is the kind of message that even when a Christian forgets, God is still gracious. The gospel is a message that for a Christian who has practically forgotten it, that what God has done in Christ is still enough for them. Lord, uh, thank you um, that you will not always be scolding, that you do not keep your anger forever at us, that you treat us uh, much better than our sins deserve. And thank you that the reason you do that is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, just pray that we would rest on this and that it would be something of first importance, not just to the Apostle Paul, but to us. Just pray you teach us to uh, found uh, found our lives on the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.